Hello and welcome to the Schools Rugby Podcast. This year's episode is gladly sponsored by the Gonzaga Past Pupils Foundation. Thank you very much for all the promotion you've given towards me, my podcast and my personal life. It is very much appreciated. And the best thing about it all is they did it out of their finest bit of generosity, free of charge. So thank you very much to the Gonzaga Past Pupils Foundation. It is very much appreciated. And on today's show, we will discuss a bit about this tournament, past tournaments, my memories as a player, other people's memories as a player, coaching, quick fire, audios, interviews, sound bites, you name it. Best place to start is this year's cup. We're only kind of halfway there, but a lot has happened, a lot has transpired. Obviously, the biggest talking point was Gonzaga beating Black Rock in the first round. Not many people saw that coming. Um, they had like ample warning from Rock because Gonzaga, their preseason would tell a lot eventually in the cup because obviously Rock ended up losing. But if I'm not mistaken, Gonzaga, I think, beat them in preseason. So that should have given them ample warning that it wasn't going to be easy. And it seems like this Rock, just this crop of players, if you look at what happened against Michaels in the Junior Cup final where... They conceded tries late on, and now some of those guys were involved against Gonzaga. I'm not saying it's purely down to it, but that's twice now that those some of those players would have experienced big cup losses due to an implosion in the last 10 minutes. And listen, I'm all for implosions in big games myself as a player. I've seen it as a coach, but it's just something that has become somewhat of a trend as of late with Rock. And like moving on, Kassanok shocking Belvo was a big one. Um, I was delighted to see that for Jeremy Staunton and all the boys there in Kassanok. They've put in a hell of a lot of work over the last few years and did a few cl- close calls in the first round, especially even last year in Gonzaga in the first round. So to see them get a chance to maybe play it out in the final is something that I no doubt will, will spur the school on and hopefully um, they can do do a favour and beat Klongos in the semi-final. But, um, and then also Michael's doing so well. So obviously they went in as pre-cup favourites, which in past doesn't tend to do anyone favours, but so far so good. The first round was routine enough. And then the second game against Gonzaga, a lot of people expected that to be very tight. And yeah, that Michael's team just put in one of the most dominant performances I've seen in many years. It reminded me back to 2011, 2010 of that Klongos team under No McNamara that just pretty much bulldozed through everything. No matter what team was in front of them, no matter how good or bad it was, they just absolutely bulldozed. So that was a very impressive performance. And like apart from that, you're now left with semifinals where you've got Newbridge, Michaels and Klongos, Kassanok. On paper, it should be Klongos, Michaels final, what a lot of people would suggest, but... If anything, like if you look at past semifinals, a lot of the time they don't go according to popular opinion. Now, I'm not saying those two teams won't make it true, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if you got at least one very, very close game out of the two. And yeah, I suppose like apart from that, looking at some of the trends maybe of this year's competition, I just think the attacking detail in games now so like compared to what it was seven eight years ago where it's pretty much unstructured absolute warfare off nine it's now 
<clears throat> like the details going into the top school sides is, you know, it's on par with some pro teams. And I'm speaking from experiences in watching pro teams train. Some of the top schools pretty much replicate that, whether it's in the gym, nutrition, video analysis, like some are on par with that, which is great to see. And I think that's why you see so many pros now, especially in Ireland within a year, sometimes two, just going straight into a pro setup like a Lancer or another province and just flourishing because I just think the standards now of coaching and just of the competition in general has just dramatically improved across the board. But yeah, it'll be an interesting, interesting semi-final, I'd say. Fingers crossed, Michaels can get the job done and get another day out on Paddy's Day. But we shall see. So yeah, moving on to the memories of a player or myself. Like the earliest memories I have would be back at like under 13s. So we had a massive rivalry with BlackRock and Terranura that year. And even Mary's. Um, but I remember we were playing Orbei away from home. And we were driving through, it could have been Derry. Could have been, it was somewhere up north. And on the back of the bus, there was obviously condensation. A lot of, you know, excited 13-year-olds going up for their first big Northern Ireland game. Uh, for their school and some of the people at the back of the bus thought it would be a good idea to start writing maybe (laughs) poorly thought out comments about the IRA into the condensation so you had bystanders or pedestrians walking by and just kind of looking at the bus and started screaming at the bus and I was at the very front of the bus and it's your normal, like, 46A double-decker bus. And people then start screaming at the bus. And I'm up front with the teacher. And the teacher's kind of looking back, being like, what the, what the hell's going on? And lo and behold, we see on the back window of the bus the words, up the Ra, Celtic, Rangers, uh, D4, up Dublin. Like a complete contrast of statements. And then we look outside and we see a bunch of pedestrians like screaming at the bus, being like, take that down! But to no avail, as the bus rode on up towards Orbei, in which we beat them comfortably. But yeah, that was something I remember pretty vividly from my time at under-13s. I also remember the time at JCT, probably better than I do SET, but... I've said it so many times that our rivalry with Terranura, that was when it was at fever pitch because we just, I don't know where it came from. I think it came from in 13s, they beat us and we hadn't lost all season. So we were like, okay, screw Terranura. And then at Jays, we beat them in preseason. The year before, they'd beaten us in the JCT final when we were saying second year. So... We just developed this hatred, like this deep, deep hatred for them. The type of hatred you'd see in these stupid Marvel films from a villain and the good guy. Like, it got to a stage where on and off the pitch, it was war. So I've said this before in the podcast, but like at Wes, bloodbath. It would honestly be, it'd be like one of these good fella Martin Scorsese scenes where they'd be like, they hit Johnny, they hit Johnny. And then we'd be like, we'll get him, boys, we'll get him, boys. 
and then we'd wait like two weeks till the next Wes and we'd jump them and vice versa. So like it was genuinely like the sprint from the Wes changing rooms to the taxi on the N11 it was like making a run to the safety of a bunker on the D-Day landings. Quite literally. But yeah, I everything I remember from that year pretty much spirals towards the final in which we got absolutely blitzed in. And that was my first taste of the whole rigmarole showbiz of school's boy rugby. And... Like, I remember Kilkenny was our first game and we were so nervous. And what we used to do is have a meal before each game in the cafeteria. And just before we went to have our meal, we actually went into the kind of concert hall in the school. And the play was going on at this stage, rehearsals for the play. And you know the way everyone who is in charge of the play, so like the play conductor or the director, is either a drug abuser or else completely insane or both. Um, So this guy gets invaded by the JCT squad and the coaches. We start eating, chatting crap, being really loud in the same hall as which the play is trying to be done. And so your man turns around and goes, excuse me, you can't can't be here. This This is ridiculous. We're trying to organize a play. It's in five days. And everyone just kind of continued to eat as if nothing was happening. And then eventually he got really, really angry and went up to one of our assistant coach and goes, I want Ollie Hughes out of here. I want you out of here now. And our assistant coach just stands up and is like twice the size of this complete weirdo who's screaming at children, trying to get them to perfect their lines. And he goes, hey, you have no authority here. Now get lost. And the play conductor, horrified, just retreated back to the comfort of the piano and his senior infant class. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, and then, yeah, that that just built up. We played the infamous Jack O'Neill, Kassanok, JCT team that were favorites. Beat BlackRock then in the semifinal. And then in the final, we were like, yes, going to nail it. And we get absolutely smashed by Terenure. Absolutely smashed in every way, shape, or form. We had people leaving the pitch early. We had injuries. We had... We even took the lead. I think we went three or six nil up. And then just... (laughs) Blow up! But, um, yeah. I remember going home in tears and just being like, I hate rugby. And yeah, didn't even go because that's like your first initiation of having beers is after JCT. Your parents are like, yeah, you can have a few beers. Why not? I didn't even take up that opportunity. I was like, I am going home and I'm going to cry so much that my pillow is going to be drenched. But yeah, we got a guest on to give their fondest memory of the JCT final. Um, Happens to be a professional rugby player from New York. And this is what he had to say. Fondest moment of schools rugby was when uh, Junior Cup final when we lost against Tenure by uh, a million points to five, maybe. And I got hauled off at half time because I was injured at 20 minutes in. And um, basically, it was a really dark day. But uh, my ex girlfriend decided to walk back from Donnybrook to Michael's with me. So at the age of 15, I was crying 
with a fucking alcoholic in my arm, drinking a can and smoking a fag after the final of the Junior Cup with a girl, basically, walking back to the school. <laughs> oh, contact my lawyer. But yeah, then moving on. Yeah, and some of my earliest memories would be SET as well. So when I was in fifth year, we won the cup that year and everyone who's played in the squad or cup squad or even the extended squad, majority of people are like, how in God's name did we win that? Like, how did we do that? Some of the earliest memories I have of that season would be, I think it was like November. We come out of like an hour and a half gym session and back in those days, you'd be going in and you're beefed up like Kiwi gym coach would be like, okay, boys, we're going to do a few cleans, some bench in squats, right? And he's like, put 200 kilos on there and get after it. Nowadays, that just wouldn't wouldn't happen. But we do that for an hour and a half, come out absolutely in ribbons. And then in the car park, who do you see? But Bernard Jackman, who was our coach that year as well. And he goes, who's got cars here? And about six people put up their hands going, yeah, uh, uh, I've a car. He goes, right, follow me. And he just gets into his car and loads of us, about 30 of us cram into like six cars, seven cars. And we're following and we go up like Nutley Lane, go up past the bus station up by Riverview. And we're thinking, oh, he's going to take us to Riverview because he just played finish with Leinster. He's probably got a deal with them and we're going to use the pool or something. But we drive by Riverview. So we're like, right, um, where are we going now? Goes up through Klonski and kind of comes out the other side near the bridge near Alexandra College. And we're like, oh, we might be going to Alexandra College. Maybe there's a pool there or I don't know what. Maybe he's just got something cool planned or we might be getting a bite to eat. Then he takes a sharp left into this housing estate and we all kind of follow him in and then like lump our cars up on the path and then like beside bushes. He goes, get out of the cars. And we were like, what What are we doing here? And in like the corner, there was a gap between two of the bushes, which overlooked onto a massive park, a green area. But the thing was, we were like up by like 30, 40 meters and there was a massive hill. And he goes, everyone get ready. And we were like, so what? And he goes, we're going to do some hill runs. So for the next 45 minutes in the freezing cold, he made us do hill runs after a gym session, mind you, for 45 minutes in our runners, sprinting up and down this steep hill. Ever since it's been known as Jackman Hill. Whenever we pass it, it's just shivers and that's Jackman Hill. But yeah, like I remember some of the other antics we had that year where like we would have some of the most physical sessions ever. So there used to be like the mud zone essentially in Michael's where since since they've built over it with the BMX track, one of the worst running tracks in the history where it's got like a shimmy uh, at the top. It's not actually a perfect circle. It's more like a, a pee. But anyway, it used to be just covered in muck, no grass. So we would just go over there and our coaches would just be like murder ball and kick the shit out of each other for about 45 minutes. That was the type of stuff we were doing. There was also stuff like, I remember when we were doing scrum sessions, we'd be just holding this between two packs. And then all of a sudden we'd just hear like, and it'd be Jackman 
jumping on top of us and lying on top of the scrum and just being like, no one move, no one move, no one move, tensions, tensions, tensions. While you're just there like, oh my God. And he would just be screaming while on top of you. But yeah, even some of those scrum sessions were frightening. Like he'd make us start on the scrum machine on the left-hand side of the pitch, so the left touchline, and make us drive it all the way across to the right touchline. And by the end of it, your legs would just be screaming at you, screaming. And like the reason we just did that was because I remember in preseason, so Klongos that year had, well, they had the best team. That Well, they maybe didn't have the best team, but they were favorites anyway. So it's completely up to interpretation, but they were favorites. And I remember their front row, which is still the best front row I've ever seen in schools, but history. It was Ed Byrne, Brian Byrne, and Dan O'Byrne, the Byrne brothers, essentially, with Dan. But we just kind of framed them as three brothers. And yeah, I remember we were playing them in preseason. And I started, I was starting for the seconds that day. And what used to happen there, and it still happens today, is that if you're on the seconds, you're essentially sub for the first that day. So if there's an injury or if they want to make a change, you just come up from the seconds. And like three minutes into the seconds game, there's a break in play and I kind of look up towards the first because that's what every seconds player would do if there's a break in play. So go, what's the important team doing? Well, you're just there slugging it out in a game that's about as pointless as those spin-off Star Wars films that nobody watches. But I see someone down, get medical attention. And then I see just Jackman just kind of like just strutting down towards us. And like in a, a moment of just like haziness, I was just like, is he pointing at me? And he's like, where's you get it? Get it, get it. I was like, what? And he goes, get the fuck out of the pitch. We need you. So I come jogging off the pitch and I'll never forget it. So it's obviously a big game, big crowd there. And I see the physio and Gav Kelly, who was starting that day at Hooker, he was like getting carried off and he was like limping off and like holding his neck. And I was like, what the hell? And Jackman just threw me a jersey and he just goes, yeah, we're under the caution of the scrum. Just try and fucking survive. And I was like, what? And I remember the thing was, it was a scrum that I was going into. And obviously opposite me is Ed, Brian and Dan for Klongos. And I'm thinking, right, I see Gav Kelly holding his neck. I then look to my left and right and see who was it, Lawless and Coulson. And they're like, yeah, it's bleak. Just give me the look as if, like, this is bleak. So I was like, right, let's go crouch, whatever it was, bind, pause, engage back then. And genuinely, it felt as if a tsunami was scrumming against us. Because once that ball went in, my head flicked up as quick as it would if Mike Tyson gave me a bloody uppercut. Like, just went, boom. And I was like, my God. It was it was frightening. But do we no we didn't win that game. Lost the game I think twelve nine. But I remember thinking then I was like, Jesus, that is there's work to do. <clears throat> that year we actually went on a trip down the country, and that's like the best thing about schools rugby is the trips or the banter on the bus or something like that. And we went down to Briefy House, I think it's called. And we get down, really nice hotel. Well, nice hotel, really nice. It's a bit of a stretch. But the thing was, the pitch hadn't been cut. So, like, the grass was, like, 10, 15 inches long, way too long. 
it was like playing the field. So we basically, the thing was, it's a bit like a Lions tour. You have the 22, 25 guys who are going to be in the cup team and then the other guys who weren't. And I remember at this stage, I'd kind of completely checked out. I remember I quit like three weeks after, but at this stage, I'd like completely checked out. I was like, have a bit of banter with the lads. If it works out, great. If not, I'll probably just throw in the towel in a few weeks' time. So we were doing stuff like bowling, having um, meals together, um, doing like team building stuff. And one of the things we did was paintballing. And I'll never forget it because all the coaches did it. And we had like tough, we had like Calvin Lee as the head coach, for those who don't know him, like former pro, big guy, strong guy. And then with Jackman as well. And like, <laughs> I remember before, and like we had a few hotheads in the team as well. And you could see people like foaming at them out. And they're like, oh, try not shoot anyone in the heads. And you just see like someone to your left just being like, <laughs> just like breathing, ready to go. And I'll never forget, so they're like split into two teams. And I went with my team, which had like one or two coaches and the other team, but one or two coaches and the rest of the team. And I remember I was beside Luke Martin and Jamie Lawless. And they were like, okay, get in your positions. So we kind of duck behind this like padded fence. And the thing was, Jamie was only like, 85% covered. What he didn't realize was like he was just kind of on his knees, bending his head down. But like his his hamstrings and basically his arse were popping out. And it was basically, if you can picture like two pirate ships going at each other, we're all facing each other so we can see where everyone is. And there's only like 50 yards separating us before the whistle's blown and complete mayhem ensues. But what transpired was the whole opposite team <laughs> obviously noticed that Jamie was exposing himself a little bit. So supposedly the other team were like, lads, that's that's Jamie. Look, Jamie doesn't know. So the whole team just fixes their guns at him. And then your man's like, no shooting before the whistle. And they're like, no, 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 no. And I remember looking up and just seeing all the guns pointed close to me because I was only like four or five meters away from Jamie. I was like, oh, shit, they're going to come after us here. (laughs) And it's like, three two, one. And then all you hear is Jamie going, oh my, oh, and you could just hear them. And like before you knew it, he had about 50 paintballs on his leg and arse. And he was just screaming in agony. And I was like, Jesus. So I just started legging it. And like, it's properly, it's like, um, not I love you, man, role models. You know, that like battle in the forest. You have people running around thinking they're Arnold Schwarzenegger in the middle of Predator. But we get to the stage where it's getting towards the end. And it's like, if you get shot, you're out. So it's like one kill, you're dead. And I remember me and Jackman were kind of in the shed and we were kind of surrounded by like six other teammates. And I was like, what can we do? And he was like, we're, we're trapped. We're going to have to find a way out. And like, when you do baseball, you fully think you're in the middle of like saving Private Ryan in the last 30 minutes of the film. And I was like, I don't think we can make it. And then he goes, 
we'll go on account and we'll shoot our way out. So I was like, right, I'll, I'll, I'll back, I'll back Birch's <laughs> wisdom here. And I was like, okay, on my count, we'll both run out of the shed. So I was like, one, two, three. I run out and just start shooting, going like, ah. And then I just look and Birch stay there. <laughs> he just basically sell me down the drain. And I was like, what are you doing? He goes, I can't do it. And then before I know, it was just like, got shot like 15 times. Got shot in the side of the throat. So like my neck. And like I went down and be like, oh, 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 I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And then the time went out and Birch just came out and was like, oh, we're done, we're done, we're done. But that was great, great crack. And yeah, then I remember it built up to that Ross Gray game. And yeah, I have a little bit of a story from the one and only Dennis Kilson, currently playing over in France, formerly of Stade Francais, Grenoble and Connacht. But here's a nice little story from Dennis about how he found out if he was to be playing sub and are not involved in the first SET game. So in uh, 2012, when I was in fifth year, there was um, coming up to the cup just before the first cup game against Ross Cray, <laughs> famous Ross Cray game out in Minute. There was um, kind of a, a weird selection protocol, but uh, the way it worked was each player that was in the, the, the broader squad for the whoever was in contention for the game had a specified time to come and meet the coaches. So mine would have been some stage uh, later in the evening when, like, you know, the way those meetings work out in school, they're weird, like 17.04 minutes. And uh, anyway, I'm on my way to where the coaches were, which was a changing room in the pavilion in St. Michael's. And anyway, I'm just about to knock on the door or whatever to go in and another player comes out and he's 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 crying his eyes out and he just so happened to be in my position so i don't know my head was kind of racing at this stage so i walk in and uh there's three coaches so each of the three coaches one of them is occupying a wall and on a bench if you get me so first coach on the left second coach straight ahead of you and the third coach on the right and there's only one bench left and i'm told to sit on it so it's a bit weird you know this big room they're quite far away from you in what i would have perceived as being quite a personal meeting uh is now kind of like in this big changing room so anyway the coaches start off by just saying like well done for getting this far this that and the other we've been really happy with how you've been going and then the head coach is looking at me and it's his turn to talk and he goes well fella you see, uh, we've had to make a really, really difficult choice, um, but it's one that we're very happy with. And I was like, oh, God. So he looks at me and he goes, Dennis, fella, we've decided to start you. And I'm thinking, brilliant. Like, couldn't be happier. This is this is fantastic. And before my thoughts kind of get a, get a chance to gain any momentum, he goes, on the bench. We've decided to start you on the bench, fella. Thanks very much. You can go now. <laughs> And yeah, that year we won the cup. 2012 champions, led by Dan Levy. B. Klong goes in the final. And my God, the party in Dicey's that night was interesting, to say the least. And yeah, I suppose then flipping on to the final year, sixth year, I like 
there's so many. Like looking back on it, there's honestly I could give about fifty, but one one that always gets brought up was we were playing Munchkins away, and Munchkins are just a tough school in Munster. The pitch isn't the best. The changing rooms are really bad. And it's just always a tough place to go. And when we were in fifth year, it was a complete war zone. Like it was just basically a UFC heavyweight match where people just kicking the shit out of each other. And we were getting coached by Brian O'Mara that year. And still one of my favorite coaches I've ever had. And a lot of people would agree with me. But since he was a Munster man, he always got really invested in the Munster games. While being a Michaels lad... Yes, I don't think we actually lost a game away in Munster ever in school. But we were just kind of like, oh, it's just a bit of a trek. We're not going to play them in the cup. What's the point? Blah, blah, blah. But Munchkins, there's a huge emphasis put on it. And I remember it was like a couple of weeks before the cup. So it was like really important. We got a good performance out of it. And I remember just before the game, the day before, it was... We were playing Munchkins and Bomber comes in and you can see he's like ready to go, like ready to hit anyone. And we're like, what's going on there? And then he goes, have you seen the forecast tomorrow? And everyone's like, what? And he goes, have you seen the forecast? And we were like, no. He goes, rain. You know what that means? It's going to be a shit fight. It's going to be an absolute shit fight. Munchkins, right? They're not going to give you any favours. They're going to throw digs. They're going to try and drag you down to your level, right? Not your level, their level. And he's like, it's going to be an absolute shit fight. Get ready for us, right? It's just going to be body on body, right? Let's get fucking physically and mentally prepared, yeah? And I was like, Jesus Christ, here we go. The next morning, I remember I wake up thinking, and like I was a hooker then, and first thing you do when you wake up on game day is like, please don't be windy or rainy. And I look up, and it's really overcast in Dublin. And I'm like, oh, it's probably going to be fucking lashing raining down in Munster. But as we get closer to Munster, the less overcast it gets. And we get off the bus, and it's one of the nicest days I've ever seen. It's like 16 degrees in the middle of, I think it was like January, really warm, no wind, not even like a hint of dampness on the pitch. And there wasn't a single fight in the whole game. We beat them like 21-3, took most of our players off like 20 minutes to go. And I remember after the game, everyone was like, Jesus, Brian's barely said a word. And then he just goes... (laughs) I'll never forget it. So we're doing the huddle after and skiing and stuff, said stuff. We're like, yeah, good win, stuff. And Bomber was like, yeah, good win. Now next game, next game. And just stormed off. And everyone was just like, this is coming from the guy 24 hours ago. I was like, get ready. It's going to be a shit fight. Thunderstorms. But yeah, never anticipate the weather, especially in Ireland. Uh, what else that year? I remember just before that, we did our Kalini Hill run, which is like every year in Kalini, we do like fitness and it's just the worst fitness ever. You just do hill runs up and down for like an hour. And the night before, I remember I went out with a few lads who weren't on the rugby team and I went up to, I think, play poker. 
And the thing was, they were all going out and then it quickly descended into drinking games. I thought it'd just be poker. I can go home at like half 11, be up at nine to go to Kalini. And what transpired was I essentially ended up getting hammered up in a gaff in Black Rock and ended up having to get a taxi home at like half one, two. And waking up at eight o'clock when you're like 18 to do hill runs when you're not in the best physical condition ever or mental condition due to the drink genuinely was one of the worst days of my life. I was towards the tail end of the group and like the breathing I was making is the type of breathing you'd make when you've been shot four times and you're taking your last few breaths. You know, they're kind of like, (gasps) I'm so cold. They were the type of breaths I was taking. Like it was, Oh, it was absolutely insane. Um, I've talked about that cup campaign so much as well. Like the gum shield, I dropped my gum shield against Newbridge. I remember, I actually remember that so well. As in, I dropped, um, the player outside me kind of shot up a little bit. Their like center stepped inside and stepped in between both of us. And I, I actually screamed, I went, shit. And my, as I screamed shit, my gum shield fell out and I was like oh and then I just suddenly was like shit I better pick it up completely forgetting that the centers chasing down our try line in a semi-final of a school's cup and six minutes later it's half time and our coach is like you disrespecting everything this fucking school stands for and I I quite literally couldn't say anything the whole team the whole coaching staff were just staring at me being like you literally went to pick up your gum shield in the middle of the biggest game of the season you clown and this is, by the way, five weeks after I tried to chip and chase the quickest guy in the competition. Actually, the quickest guy in Ireland, mind you, over 100 meters. So someone pointed out to me actually recently about the Klongos quarterfinal. So we went like 14-0 down or 12-0 down after 10 minutes in that game. They scored two tries off scrums, I think. And we still came back to win relatively comfortable. But on both sides, and I wish I have the picture, well, I still do have the picture, the past pupils... It's such a funny picture where you have the past pupils like screaming like, you fat piece of shit, you fat dwarf, like unspeakable terminology. And you have like people I knew in my ear. You had lads like Ed Byrne and stuff. You actually had Rob Lipset as well. And then even in that picture, one of our actual, one of the lads playing for Michael's, in the team, his dad is just in the middle of it. It's one of the best pictures I've ever seen. But the crowd that day were very hostile, and as they should be. And I remember after we scored every try, I went up to the Klongos crowd and started doing like Gary Neville stuff, kissing the badge, putting the shh sign up to like keep them muted. And like people were like gunning for me. They were like, this little dwarf is sticking like the shush sign up. I'm going to have him. And there's actually one or two videos of it where you can actually see me going mad. Um, it's Yeah, sometimes you just get lost. I wasn't a rugby player. I was an entertainer. I, I viewed schools rugby as theater and drama, not as an actual sport. Fact. But yeah, what I'll say about that is that cup, and I, if anyone has any other ideas, let me know. But there was not a better schools rugby competition than that ever. And the reasons I have that is because you had five or six sides who could genuinely win the cup that year. That's the truth. 
like Terenier, who were the favourites, lost to Ross Gray in the first round. You had Ross Gray, Terenier, you had Blackrock, ourselves, Clongos, Newbridge. Realistically, all of those teams could have won that competition. Maybe even one or two I'm forgetting about. But, yeah, in some of the games, like the final was brilliant. Um, well, if you're a Black Rock fan, you know, guilty. Forward pass. <clears throat> uh, the Ross Gray um, explosion. Complete blow up, like Mount Vesuvius uh, losing to Black Rock in the semi. Um, always a tough one to recall. I always wonder, I was like, what would have happened if we played Ross Gray in that final? It's always an interesting thought process to get going, but obviously it quickly turns into regret. And the debate, if that pass was forward with five minutes to go, and all I'm saying is I may or may not have evidence that it was forward. That's all I'm saying. Maybe or maybe not. Well, maybe, yeah, no, I have factual proof that that pass was forward. So that's all I'll say. Thinking now, like memories as a coach, as a senior panel two coach, I remember a story where one of the coaches I was doing it with, um, he was kind of had a ga hurling background and he just started coaching. And we were playing CUS up in UCD and it was the first cup game. And for those of you who haven't coached S3s, S4s, it's a very tough Number one, just level to coach at because the variance in standards is mental. Like one week you can be playing against a class rock team, the next week you can put 90 points on someone. But the thing was, we were playing CUS and UCD and in the warm-up, a few of the players went up and they're like, uh, sorry, you see that number eight there? He played for their SET in the cup. And like the thing is, this was going on during the actual like SET and JCT cups. And the coach who I was with goes, that's a disgrace, you can't do that. And then they're like, oh, I see the scrum half. He subbed for the cup as well, and now he's playing for their thirds. So the coach I was with, he walks up to their coach and goes, a um, few big boys out there. And the coach, who's a woman, goes, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, hopefully it's a good game. And he goes, yeah, a few big, big boys. And then she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully it's a good game. And he goes, I didn't see them before Christmas. And she's like, what? He goes, a few big boys out there. You've got SCT players there. We know that. Look, camera over there. We're filming that. We're going to send it to the Leinster branch. And starts like, getting quite intense with the coach. And he's like, just so you know, just so you know, we're going to report you. You're going to be kicked out of the competition. Okay, you can't just field SCT players in the SCT Thirds Cup game. Okay, simple as that. Cannot do it. So he storms back to us and it's like, the fuck off. Oh can't stand them like cheaters and I was like just relax see how it plays out we ended up absolutely smashing them winning comfortably um which was always the thing and this this coach always had a thing for just like questioning the like legality of a player on the opposition team be like he plays for SCT he can't do that and the thing was whenever that was questioned or brought up with the opposition coach we tend to win so it's a good thing we had um, what else? I remember that season we had a particular ref and it was one of the students uh, ref in a game. Well, not the students, one of the past pupils. And it was in Michaels and we were playing a match. And I remember I went up to the ref and I was like, how long's left? And he goes, my phone's dead. And I went, what? And he goes, my phone's after dying. I don't know how long's left. Can you keep time for me? So I go, grand. 
So I was like, yeah, there's about 10 minutes to go. I'll, I'll, I'll keep track. And it gets a stage where I'm like, we're winning 27, 25 here. I'm pretty sure. But the thing was, one of the Glenn Stahl players asks him in a scrum with like four minutes to go with four minutes on my watch. He goes, what's the score? And your man goes, um, you lads are up by five. And then the Michaels guys go, no, they're not. We're winning by two points. And then the Glenn Stahl players start going, no, 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 we're up by five. The ref said it. And I'm sitting there just being like, oh, my God, this is an absolute blow up. And I go up to him in the break and play with the water bottle. And I'm like, you've three minutes left. Just ballpark that. And we are winning by two. So we end up blowing up the whistle. He then starts getting screamed at by the opposition coaches. Being like, you only played 30 minutes in the second half. Jesus, ref. Fled the scene really quick. And it was only a few weeks later, the same referee. There was a conversion being taken. And the conversion's getting taken. So, like, it's a two-point conversion if you get it. And the player kicks it, misses it, bounces before the post. So, it's like, oh, okay, kick off. But then one of the players underneath the post catches the ball and starts running as if it was, like, a penalty. And he starts running up the pitch, and the opposition players who are all on the halfway line is like, ref, what the hell's going on? <laughs> and the hands go up, like what's his name, Maximus in Gladiator. It's like, oh, you're not more than a And he just goes, hands up and goes, play on. And complete carnage ensues. Like two two teams just charging at each other after a penalty. And people on the side, I was like, ref, it was, it was a conversion, not a penalty. And it just went straight back into the game. But yeah, Jesus. And thinking back to my time at JCT, there's nothing that pops out. Um, but like it's, it's a tough one to recall about. Can I ask questions now? Sorry, I think. Uh, sorry, Eddie, do you want to say something? I wouldn't want to Sorry. Yeah, so Eddie O'Sullivan is going to just pop on the podcast now for a minute. If, is it? Yeah. Okay, yeah. No, he's going to come on now and he's just going to ask a current professional rugby player, James Tracy, some questions. Okay, Eddie, that all right? Okay, um, yeah, well, you know, it's a great honour to be on uh, the rant of the Allen, you know. It's a bit, uh, bit of a tongue twister, you know, a bit like, you know, one of those twister ice creams, you know. Anyway, so, um, James, obviously, thank you so much for coming on, you know. It's been uh, it's been quite a while, but uh, we'll deal with that later on, you know. No, genuinely, we will, yeah. So, um, just out of curiosity now, James, um, from a playing point of view, um, you know, I remember back in... 1861 when I was playing down Limerick you know you couldn't distinguish the difference between a leather belt and you know football you know so um I'd just like to know um who's the best player you've uh you've played against Andrew Conway is definitely the best uh, schools player I've played against he's an absolute freak I off the top of my head I can't think of anyone who who was better than him he was definitely the most impressive I've ever seen Andy Conway's super player, you know. I never picked him, you know, because he was too young, but, you know, we had tabs on him. That's all I'd say, you know. And um, I remember back in my day, you know, what's his name? Ah, what's the name of the player? Um, anyway, no, it was like a, it was a cabbage patch, you know, cabbage and bacon, one of my favourite dinners, by the way. But anyway, what is uh, the toughest place you've uh, ever played in? And, like, I mean that from a school's perspective. Toughest place to play would probably be 
BlackRock. Uh, I think I only won once there in my whole time in school. And then... And last but not least, listen, I'm enjoying those answers now. Um, the strangest thing you've seen on a pitch now, James. So, like, I'm quite aware, you know, and I don't want this to go on record, but, um, you know, the time you caught me in your bedroom, you know, that's obviously strange enough, but let's not uh, alert the authorities to that. Um, we'll deal with that later. But um, what's the strangest thing you've ever seen on a pitch? Because, um, you know, the the craziest thing I've seen on a pitch was when, um, what's his name? Um, what's the name of the, the flanker? Um, Jerry Flannery, uh, he came up to me and asked me for a digestive biscuit at half time, you know, and I said to him, listen, you know, digest that and get me some butter, you know. Thing was, there was no digestives, there was no butter, and it wasn't even half time, and we weren't playing a match. I was just in his bathroom. But, uh, James, yeah, what's the strangest thing you've seen on a pitch? Um, strangest thing I've seen would be I saw a kid dislocate his, um, his hip, so it was like the ball socket. I was actually six there, obviously. The ball socket came out the front of his hip. I was just lying there screaming. It's actually horrendous. Yeah, yeah, great questions. Anyway, uh, James, I'd just like to ask you just a few personal questions. That's right. No, Eddie, can we just. What? No, just. I kind of. No, Eddie, can I. No, please, just let me. No, no, Eddie, no, no. Listen, thanks very much for that. No, please, just want to ask. No, Eddie, Eddie, thanks. See you. Thanks. So thanks for James for coming on. And Eddie, obviously. And, yeah. Then what else? So, coaches' memories. So, I remember when I was coaching in a school, an SET, and it was after a match we'd played, and we get a text in by the head coach, and the head coach asks, oh, how did Mr. Y play? And I was like, "Uh, Mr. Y, Mr. Y. I was like, he played pretty well. And the other assistant was like, yeah, no, he played reasonably well. And then like 20 minutes went by and then I kind of texted the other assistant coach privately being like, I don't think Mr. Y was even there today. I don't think he turned up. And then we went back into the group and went, sorry, now that you mentioned it, Mr. Y didn't even turn up. And all the coaches started pissing themselves laughing. But that was just outrageous. We didn't even realize one of the players didn't turn up for the match and didn't even play. Like, oh, it was outrageous. What else? Um, I remember a parent. This was hilarious. So this was um, after a match. We just lost to Black Rock. And a parent gets chatting to me. And I've often been mistaken for a young past pupil or even a player, which I'll touch on in a bit. But a parent comes up to me and goes, oh, that was a tough day, you know. We'd only lost the game, I think, by three or four points. And he's like, oh, it was a tough day. You know, he's like, it's a bloody joke. What's going on now? You can't be losing games like that. I don't know what the coaches are doing. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I was one of the coaches. And the parent then just proceeds to start screaming, screaming, being like, it's a bloody joke. Like, they obviously don't know what they're doing. Like, they're they're just ruining the team, a great team. They're just ruining us. They obviously haven't a clue what's going on. And eventually, after two or three minutes of this parent ranting to me about how inept the coaches were, I was like, anyway, I actually need to go into the lads now because I'm one of the coaches. And then I walked off. So, like, uh, I don't know what to say to that, but, like, it was outrageous. Absolutely outrageous. 
And I suppose one of my last ones from coaching point of view was when I was with Castlenock last year. And we went down to Ross Gray in, and we played them in a league game. And the league format's very interesting, something that I hadn't experienced, obviously, as a player, as a coach with Michaels. But it's actually a really good idea, the fact that preseason actually means something and it's real competitive. But we went down to Ross Gray to play a league game. And I remember after the game, the lads were getting fed and I went up to one of the coaches. I was like, listen, um, one of the Ross Gray coaches going, um, where's the staff room? I just need to go to the toilet. And he goes, oh, just down there, second uh, door on the right and just pop in and toilet's right in front of you. So I go in, use the toilet, and I get out of the toilet and start walking towards the exit of the staff room. And then I'll hear, sorry, excuse me. And I turn around and go, yeah. Because what do you think you're doing here? And I went, sorry, excuse me. And she goes, can I have a word? And I was like, here? Or she goes, no, outside, get out, get out. Starts treating me as if I'm literally 15. And I go outside the staff room and this teacher, obviously, starts going, this is not a place for you to be using the bathroom, okay? It's very disrespectful, okay? You should know, you should use your own toilets. And I went, sorry, uh, I'm from Castlenock. There weren't given toilets. And then she goes, yes, but this is clearly staff room only. And I went, okay, well, listen, I was just speaking to a member of your staff and they told me to come here. And they go, I don't care, okay? No schoolboy kids are allowed. It's an insurance thing. To which I then respond, I go, well, that's good because I'm a coach. I'm 24. And then she goes, right. Um, but then there's no need to say anything else. And then just storms back into the staff room. And then I meander the massive corridors of Ross Gray, pondering what is life? What is the meaning of life? But that's happened all too much. All too regular, I should say. But yeah. So now just last little bits here. Like the all-time STMC 15. Hmm. I didn't put a lot of thought into this, and loads of people disagree with me. None of the current players are in it. Um, it can only be players who have already played. So I went with a front row of Dennis Coulson, myself, obviously. Um, Fionn Finley. Second rows of Ross Maloney and Matthew Healy. Back row of Alex Byrne, Dan Levy, and Donna Lawler, the man who played with one leg. Nine and ten, I'd go Rob Gilsonin and Ross Byrne. Centres, Alex Kelly, Connor Cleary, and then back three of Noel Reed, Andy Smith, and Keen Keller. Um, one or two people did pay me significant amounts of money to be mentioning that, but bill me. Um, what else was the quick fire ones? These are all sent to me on Instagram. Yeah, so my thoughts on BlackRock. Um, not going to comment a huge amount on that because people who actually are in BlackRock know what's going on a lot more than I do. But my two cents would be all these things do tend to go in cycles. Like at the minute, you could say Michaels are going through the good patch. Rock had theirs a few years ago. Klongos had their three years. Ross Gray had two or three seasons that went really well. Like in a year or two, who's to say it's not back to BlackRock? Um like Belvo had their two or three years as well. Like just because Rock aren't winning cups doesn't mean, oh, they're shambles. It's a mess. Like they could easily win the cup next year and everyone will just forget. It's the same with Michaels. When Michaels didn't win a cup, those people say, no, there's this and that wrong. If you get the right coaches in, the right setup and trust in them, a school of Rock size, will they will do well regardless. And speaking of Black Rock, 
I have a little surprise for you. So I'm now joined by the one and only Ross Deegan, all the way from Espanol. Uh, first and foremost, Ross, thanks a million for coming on. Nada. It's a pleasure to have you. Nada, 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 nada. ¿Qué tal? ¿Qué tal? ¿Qué tal? Bien, Ross. <laughs> Estoy hablando well, en español ahora, ¿no? Okay. I'm delighted to be here, Rad. I'm delighted to be here. Finally, getting a go at the rant. I rant a lot myself, so it's finally good to just express myself on a ranting show. Well, yeah, this is what this is what rants were made for. So, (laughs) first up for you would be if you were to think back to when you were playing the old rugby in school, what would be the funniest story you could think of? From this moment, there are in this moment there are about a hundred stories I could think of. But if I was to go back, God, it's three years ago at this stage. We were. I don't know if you know. You are a swordsman yourself. I am mm. rock. When I say the rock rugby is one of the most professional things you will do, bro, it is so serious. We're up in the morning at about six a.m. milling pork chops, eggs, smoothies. You know, <laughs> the band. We're on these sort of diets that just. Oh, God, I can't even describe it to you. The Irish rugby team wouldn't be even on these diets. But I remember my yeah. mornings getting up and being like, right, Pops, you have to make me an old pork chop there, make me all scrambled eggs. And he was going, Ross, you're not a prop. Like, what are you doing? Like, I was weighing yeah. about 105 kilos. But, you know, there was many a time, Rollin, when I thought, this is it, right? It was third year junior cup. And everything was going well, right? Three or four weeks into training, and I was like, oh, God, you know, will I make the team? Will I not make the team? It was a big time of year as well because you were just sort of breaking into it. Do you know yeah. when you were in Junior Cup? Like, it was so big. Back with Junior Cup times, like, you were only 15, 14, 15. You weren't really used to it. So that story, this story goes back a long time. Now, I won't name any names, right? Yeah, yeah. But Keep it PG. Keep it PG because I don't want to defame anyone, as you would say. <laughs> the only person I'll be defaming is defaming myself here. But yeah, exactly. Third year, I'd say Halloween time, things were getting a little spooky, and we had our away trip to London. So I think it was Edinburgh we were going to, or Birmingham, Birmingham at the time, right? So we pack up our gear. A week before, everyone's going, oh, who's going to get picked for the team? Who's going to get picked for the team? Yeah. Oh, genie, I need to get picked. <laughs> so anyway, a big old week of training, and our coach goes, Digo, you're on, number 11. I said, hip-hop and a diddly-do, here we go. This is going to be <laughs> the best week of my life. Do you know what I mean? It was so exciting. Yeah. At the time, you only go away once a year, so it was like, if you got picked for this, like there was rumors going around the locker room, oh, you'd be, you'd be starting for Junior Cup now, you'd be in Donnybrook, you know, and all this sort of crack. So finally I was picked and my parents were like, now Ross, promise me, honey, you will not misbehave on this trip. And I, yeah. what, mom, you chill your beans, say your prayers, say your rosary, I will be grand, I'm going to get over there and kick ass and I'm going to do everybody proud. And she says, oh, mm. Ross, you're so happy, oh, you know, and I said, mama, I'm going to do you proud. <laughs> in fairness, like, Ryan, I think we've changed history in rock because what they used to do was they used to bring us over on the Friday morning, play the game at around three o'clock and then say, do you know, boys, take it handy, go for a Nando's and maybe a little glass of Fanta. And I said, you know what, boys, <laughs> we won't be going for any Fanta tonight. We'll be going for the real Fanta. Yeah. So anyway, 
one thing led to another. We played the game, we won, and you know when you play and you win, spirits are high. Yeah. You're just they're, you're jumping up and down on each other and you're all looking at each other and you're all sort of had that mischievous, kind of mischievous, if you like, look in your eye like, what are we going to do tonight? Do you know that? Yeah. Like we had I do, I do. A free night in Birmingham, a free night in London, wherever we were. So... Obviously, the we actually rather get this. We called ourselves after this event the Warwick Four. Now I don't know why <laughs> this is. It was like the Fantastic Four, but like it wasn't even great four. We were the special four. I won't name yeah. the involved. I'm kindly putting myself in that special Warwick Four bracket. But anyway, so we finish our game now without incriminating anybody. We finish our name. We go for dinner. And we're under strict instructions, guys, under no circumstances. Now, I mean no circumstances are you to leave the hotel. Now, that's the only rule we have. We've brought you bowling. We've given you a free Fanta and a Nando's and whatever you like. Do you know that sort of way? But do not exactly. leave the hotel. Rallon, I don't even have to tell you what comes next because I think yeah. you and the listeners already know. My leave the hotel. We you leave the hotel. But there's only there's only it's dumb and dumber. Myself and this my friend leave the hotel. But how we got caught was we left the hotel. What went on outside the hotel is for the the public's ears and their imagination to exactly yeah into the forest and just think of what went on outside the hotel not much but a bit you know what i mean yeah anyway so we come back in and how we get caught was myself and uh, come back in and we're chatting with the doorman and we're like you know what's chilling he goes where were you guys and we went oh we went and he went oh that's great to know so anyway myself and mm, woke up the next morning went down to breakfast and everybody's like <laughs> and I effing knew we were Shanghai. Now, I hadn't gotten out of bed yet, so he didn't know what was coming. My phone was charging the room, so remember, I couldn't even tip him off about, yeah. Ooh. But anyway, we were getting dirties, we were getting filthies, and to say we were put in the naughty corner was just not even in the equation. We went for mini golf, I remember that day. And I remember the coaches being like, they were scalded. I could see the steam popping out their ears. I had no idea. And when I tried to smile, they just, I was trying to win them over as well. At one stage, I think I could have given one of them a little tickle in the stomach to try to get them going, but <laughs> none of it, right? Now, let me go back to why we called ourselves the Warwick Four. So that, mm. don't forget it, only mm, mm, me and mm have already done the damage, right? The one rule, don't leave the hotel. But anyway, we're coming back to... Birmingham, right? And uh, Birmingham would be kind of like a dangerous enough airport, a few things going on there and all the rest. And we're walking yeah. through security, right? Now, I'm on my best behavior. I almost, I have my hands behind my back and handcuffs almost because I just do not want to get <laughs> I think I'd actually walk beside the coach just to prove to him that there was going to be no funky business in the airport. But anyway... I walk through security with mm, because we're on our best behavior, right? And we're right beside the coach. And this, like, passport airport control lady comes up to the coach and says, like, you know, you're going to have to really watch your students. One of them <laughs> bomb coming through security. And my coach was like, sorry, what? And, and she goes, one of them just shouted that the other one had a bomb in their bag. And when I say... 
I thought that I pissed off my coach and there was steam coming out of his ears, but you should have seen him in this moment. I swear to God, he was like, I don't even know that uh, the guy that looks like Yashi in those Mario Kart movies that explodes. <laughs> you know that rocket that you get in like M- Wii Mario Kart or something where it goes, <laughs> he was like that times 10 when you're coming to Paddy Last in that Mario Kart race and you get the rocket and you shoot up. This is thick he was, right? He storms over. Obviously, there's the blind. So uh, myself and Dumb and Dumb are left the hotel, but this was like the blind leading the blind. One of them had said to them, going through security, so-and-so has a bomb. And uh, in Birmingham, the whole place nearly shut down. I'm not even joking. Flights were delayed, canceled. No, only mess. And that didn't happen. But when I- <laughs> there was war. There was war. Alan. Anyway, we got back to the school. And this, for Michael's lads, you wouldn't even know what this feels like. But we got back to the school and our principal was waiting at the bus. And the four looked at each other and we said, boys, we've really done it this time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And when I say around, like, it was just, out of all the memories of schools, rugby and all the rest, I think that has to be up there with the dumbest uh, story of all time. The dumbest thing we ever did with schools rugby. And it is worth noting that Ross and his fellow friends were suspended for their acts on that trip. And I definitely like that's more than enough from a, a funny memory point of view. To, would you have any odd stories? So, to give you an example, one of the oddest things I've ever seen on a rugby pitch was actually when I was coaching uh, Michael's, I think it was a seconds or a thirds team down in Newbridge. Yeah. And. During half time, someone had released a golden retriever onto the pitch. <laughs> and the pit the golden retriever couldn't actually be caught because whenever anyone kind of went near it, so the ref was like, Okay, let's start the second half. So there's just this golden retriever sitting in the middle of the pitch. So we start trying that. to get the thing, kept running away. The ref then got involved. And then it got to the stage where four or five minutes in it was growling at people, napping at people. <laughs> people were like, where's the owner here? And then turns out a teacher started screaming, oh, it's a farm dog. It's one of the locals. <laughs> so eventually, in a collective effort, a show of unity between us and Newbridge, yeah. we all had to corner this dog, lift it up <laughs> by about four people, and carry it off the pitch and tie it to a post. Was it a rough dog, was it, or was it all right? It was, it was just petrified. It had a bunch of... Grow men chasing after us. Get involved. They want to get that ball run down the wing, score a few lottery. <laughs> but I was just wondering if you could recall anything that you were just like, "This is mental." What? What's going honest, on here? What was it? Well, uh, oh, let me think, bro. Um, yeah, something a bit mental. Uh, funny enough, a bit mental. Let me think. Um, uh, one time, in fairness, it was it was pretty nuts. It was in fifth year. And we were playing, I think it could have been uh, Methody, right? And uh, there was a rocker, whatever it was, in the middle of the field. And this lad went to sort of do a little pick and go. But whatever way one of the lads ripped him, he sort of ripped his jersey as well, right? So the ball actually, he was sort of running like a headless chicken with the ball in his jersey and his belly out, do you get me? But the rest yeah. So you just had this ball, like this big ball with his head in a jersey just running down, flab jiggling away down the field. And I remember people tackling him. They were like, this is actually kind of weird, do you know what I mean? And I remember thinking to myself, God, that actually is a very strange thing to happen after the game. Like, 
But I've nothing, I've nothing mental, uh, nothing mental like the dog story. I'm trying to think. <laughs> off the top of my head, I can't, you know what happened now, Ronald, is I'll get, this thing will end and I'll go, ah, I should have said, yeah. you know what I mean? But, um, ah, oh, sure, look, sure, listen, that's that, that's that. Yeah, that's the nature of the beast. And just quick fire questions. Yeah. Who was the best player you played against in school? Uh, let me see. The best player I played against would have have to have been the lawnmower because he, I tell you what happened, Rallon, in fifth year, I was in fifth year, he would have been in sixth year, and we played them in Andrews, right? Now, they did beat us in the end, but I remember come, I was playing 14 that day, and we did a little move. I'd say you'll have to jog his memory to, to recall this, but we did a little move where 10 gets the ball off kind of phase play. If you like, 10 gets the ball, 12 came short, and I just came in off the little back, of 12 and lawnmower was caught dead for seconds i gave him a little five fingers and on the ground he went like a little baby and i remember remember running down the field or whatever it was peter sullivan was playing that game as well that day it was a bit 50 50 in that game as well uh but they beat us in the end but i think he could have scored about two or three tries um he was very good that day very good day but you know you sort of have to throw him in the mix there since he's still uh still performing at the highest level like yeah 100%. 100% and the toughest place to go so once you were getting ready to a game on this game I went and this is not, and this is not just because of you but it's that bloody roller coaster pillow <laughs> of a bitch up in Michaels you know not the one you know that one that looks like it's a par four and it's going downhill like <laughs> yeah. it's shocking bro I remember being on that oh I'll never forget it in my whole life we were it was like that we were playing in fifth year and it was a really big game it was the senior seconds against uh, senior seconds right mm. and it was a really big game and I remember I was playing 12 that day and Oh, I'll never forget, it. we were going up the pitch. So Michaels were coming down first half. And uh, I don't know, I can't remember that 10 playing that day, but he went to 12 and then 12 skipped 13 to 15, who was Chris Carey at the time. And I remember just getting on the outside of my shoulder and completely my fault. Like, do you know that sort of way? Yeah. So I was sort of being pushed back by gravity. I didn't know what was going on with that bloody pitch. And he went <laughs> through and he fucking went under the post. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, do you know, damn this goddamn pitch. I was taken off a few minutes later and I came off. I said, listen, lads, that actually wasn't my fault. It's whatever's growing on this roller coaster. <laughs> what is this? But yeah, probably that pitch. And you had all those Michael lads out there in the, there with their swords out, chanting and screaming and stuff. And, you know, they're calling you all sorts on the sidelines. So definitely, you'd have to say Swordville would be the toughest place I went to play. Definitely. Yeah, it, definitely. Was, it was hostile at the but best of times. Hostile, hostile, hostile. You knew it was all lighthearted at the end of the day. Did you get me? Well, it didn't seem ah, like yeah. the time, but you know yourself. like. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well said, well said. Well, listen, Ross, that pretty much wraps it up. Is that I have, right? um, yeah. thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed hearing the trials and tribulations of your time. <laughs> okay, perfect, perfect, perfect. Ryan, I was delighted to do it. Call me back anytime to do another one. Thank you very much for that, Ross. That was, uh, wow. If you want to hear the full version of that, by the way, it's up on my Patreon page. I did edit out five or ten minutes. But if you want to hear it, go on my Patreon page, become a patron, and laugh your ass off her. A sustained sustained period of time. Um, so Champions League setup. Would I favor Champions League setup? What I would favor is how Munster do it because 
they like you can actually lose your first round game and still win the competition. You basically get two rolls of the dice because it's the semifinals and like the second and third best teams arguably are already out in Gonzaga and Blackrock. Like it's I just think the fact that after the first round, like Blackrock are out, not to take away from Gonzaga's victory is fantastic, but you just you want the best teams in it. You don't want players for even the general exposure going forward. You want them to get as many games as possible. And it's just harsh. Some guys, honestly, at that age, 17, 18, if they lose a cup game and spend 10, 11, 12 months, if not longer, prepping for that one moment, they'll never play rugby again. Genuinely, it's one of the worst things that can happen to you is losing a cup game, but like especially a first-round cup game when you have a lot of hype behind, around you. It's honestly, it's it's not good. It's not good for young kids. It's not good for, yeah. Listen, I just think it should be done like a Champions League look group stage or how Munster do it. I think that's definitely the most valuable way to do. And next question is, should you be allowed to bet on schools rugby? Uh, no way. My brother calling me a fucking moron after sticking 100 quid on us at minus 12 versus Casanoch after my chip and chase still haunts me to this very day. So no, I don't think anyone should bet on schools rugby at all. It's just betting itself is bad and just betting on JCT, SCT games. It's just silly. It's silly. Rowdiest game I've ever been at would probably be Rock versus Michael's JCT match in 2010. Or was, no, it was 2013, I think where after the game we lost to Black Rock and we marched down the stand and basically forced Rock to leave the stadium, which is outrageous. Outrageous carry on, yeah. And sum up your beef with Gonzaga. So I'll try and make this as quick as possible. First of all, I do respect them. I respect what their coaches have done. It's genuinely incredible and I'm not kind of folding here like it is the fact that they've gone from a bit of a laugh and stock to genuine contenders year in year out is it's a credit to Fassi and the rest of uh, the coaches involved but my issue is the past pupils are all fart and no poo like I genuinely have no bad will towards any of them at all and I commend people like Pablo Deese along with that absolute legend who tweeted me saying you were literally 25 like, that's one of the best tweets I've ever seen in my life. Thank you for reminding me of my actual age. But even though most of those lads play out their lives, like, essentially a Call of Duty camper, by sitting in a darkened room, on their own, focused on a screen, and waiting to pounce once they see an opposition player enjoying their life, it makes me a bit ill. Okay, like, Gonzaga are essentially, the past pupils anyway, they're essentially the type of people you'd find not being allowed into Tramco back in the day due to their brother not lending them his expired passport for the night. Are they also, like, <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me, like, if someone's like, they're the type of people who'd read all, say, the Harry Potter books before watching all the films, and then they'd go to the films, and after seeing the films, they'd be like, well, it was different and better in the novels. And you'd just be like, go do one, please, please. But anyway, for every single one of the past pupils who abuse me, who follow me, who comment, keep doing it. Keep doing it. I don't not enjoy it. I think it's in good taste, apart from that one DM, but that idiot can do one. But everyone else, very much enjoy. 
And lastly, the top five SET games in the decade. Number five would go 2018, Michaels versus Belvo. Belvo came back in crazy circumstances. Number four, SET 2014 final. Number three, Belvo versus Rock 2016, when they had the two replays. Incredible rugby. Um, number two, I would say 2013 final. Let's leave it there. And number one, I'd give it Ross Gray, Black Rock, as that was absolutely incredible. Like showbiz that perhaps this is a showbiz uh, well i think look we're in showbiz baby anyway that wraps it up sit up sit up sit up um stories 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 what can i say they won't get people arrested or kicked off current irish squads um (laughs) uh well yeah one um Back in 04, we used to play teams come over from England. There was a team called Colsons. And these guys were probably the best team in Skills League um, over there. Like, some of the biggest fuckers I've ever played against. Like, a few of the heads went on to play for England. But we played them on one of the shittiest days ever in November. And, I mean, it was pissing rain. Pretty sure there was sheep on the pitch and everything. Um and was yeah one of the closest games we played like so I think we lost by one point but one of the guys that scored the winning try was a guy called Tom Von Varendale um it's about six foot three six foot four pretty big fucking winger to play against um had one of those uh year round tans all year round tans um. Yeah, it's a big lad. Anyway, so we end up losing the game by a point, and one of our priests taught Tom was like the bee's knees. Um, could have probably taught something else. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he came into the change room um, to congratulate Tom, I think, and he went up, assumed it was Tom, some big six foot four lad. Went up in the shower, smacked his ass as hard as he could. Now bear in mind, it was one of the filthiest days ever. Uh, an assumption that the player was Tom Vardell, who is technically, I think his parent, one of his parents was black. <laughs> and he proceeded to slap um, one of our second rows in the ass. I was like, great work, Tom, great work. Slapped him in the arse. And then our second row turned around. I was like, father, what the fuck? And Tom was standing beside him and was like, are you taking the fucking piss? So there you go. Here's a story for you. Thank you so much for listening. If you hated it, fantastic. If you loved it, fantastic. If you didn't even listen to it, fantastic. You won't even hear me say this. The last thing I will say is I do have a Patreon page. If anyone is interested in donating, it can be literally 90 cent or 5 euro a month or 10 euro a month. Please, please, please donate. It goes a long way in ensuring that this podcast stays alive. Thank you. Good night. Everybody's got a price. Everybody's gonna pay. Cause the million dollar man